Hello and welcome to a special episode where we will update you on the, all the relevant world news and Ukrainian war situation report. Before 2022, there was a strong feeling that nothing is ever happening. Good news, you dopamine freaks, you cozy maniacs who like watching grisly castration videos to unwind after a stressful day at office. It is now August and things uh, seem to be getting weirder every following month. Crazy MS-13 lover Nancy Pelosi is off to Taiwan. Well, there are a lot of speculations about that. American ships are back at uh, South China Sea. And something weird is brewing in Kosovo. The local government decided to stop recognizing Serbian documents and in response local Serbs started building barricades and uh, blocked the main highway from Pristina to Raška. So the ghost of evil Raška keeps tormenting the proud European nations such as Ukrainians and Albanians. Uh, we have contacted uh, our source from Serbia, Miadrak Zarkovic, later on in this episode. Ukrainians killed 40 Azov prisoners of war with a rocket strike. It's either someone is lying or they joined up with Russia on the denazification process. Uh, Donetsk is being remotely mined with uh, lepistocks. Avdiivka is now being demolished by Russian aviation and artillery. It's a city 22 kilometers away from Donetsk that was captured by Ukrainians in July 2014 and was basically a launch pad for Ukrainian artillery. So these are the topics that we will discuss in this episode. But uh, let's start with some light-hearted uh, Reddit fun. So it is known there are two types of countries. One where people own cats and others where people prefer dogs. Yet there is another divide, tea versus coffee. Not always, but quite often those two overlap. I've noticed that uh, cat countries usually prefer tea and dog countries like uh, lapping up their frappuccinos. So let's see if it holds up and how does it affect the mentality of those nations. Mind you that it's a completely scientific research. Uh, let's start with Russia. It's a tea and cat country. Russia is in top three tea consumers in the world and probably the most cat-owning country as well. I guess uh, Russian tea culture was born due to relative proximity and then colonization of Central Asia and maybe thanks to British crypto-colonization, of course. Uh, whereas the popularity of cats in Russia might be due to us living in rather small quartiers. But I think it's not just because of convenience. Uh, basically, cats are carriers of the Russian spirit. Whereas uh, America is a dog and coffee country. That's uh, why we clash, even though there are no serious historical reasons for us to be enemies. America is a country full of uh, pitbull mummies and uh, every time is uh, coffee time, office wojacks. So we are fundamentally different in this regard. Although, gotta admit that coffee culture, the liquid Americanism is running wild in Russia as well. 
so let's look at the British Khalifat. Uh, the Brits are peculiar, as always, because they seem to be dog and tea culture. Yes, I think they uh, have almost, uh, well, a very similar rate of cat versus dog ownership, but more dogs, after all. I think like uh, something yeah. like 6% more more. But that's just on the surface, because we shouldn't forget that uh, uh, UK is not a democracy, right? So <laughs> the public opinion, it's uh, irrelevant. Some North FC fans like having dogs, whatever, right? Uh, let's re recall who fired Boris Johnson. Whose whiskers do we see behind the curtains? Blimey, it's no other than Larry the Cat, the royal <laughs> mouse catcher. So I think that uh, they pumped the numbers just to pretend that they have something in common with their American cousins, when in fact they're in the same camp with Russia and China and uh, much of the Muslim world. Overall, I would say that um, it's a measure of authoritarian attitudes, um, mm -hmm. you know, because... Um, First of all, I am a centrist in both of these questions. I like both cats and dogs, and I like both tea and coffee, so I'm not biased here. But <laughs> if we look at it in terms of uh, like the personal qualities inherent in both dogs and uh, cats, then it's clear that um, cats are the more an animal focused on preserving one's own freedom, independence, and dignity. Uh, cats don't take orders, uh, cats don't do anything unless they think that they have fun doing that. Um, you can only like uh, play with it or uh, if it allows you to. While dogs, um, they are more for people who expect and demand service and offer service themselves. So mm -hmm. it's more of an authoritarian thing. America is more authoritarian than Russia. Obviously. I agree. Let's check the other parts of the world. Most of the Muslim world are cat countries. Um, but I think it's not because uh, of some personal qualities, but uh, because the Muslim doctrine says that dogs are impure, yes, right? Yes, yes, that's both a religious thing, right? And they are also mostly tea drinkers, apart from some uh, examples in North Africa. Uh, so China is tea and cat, obviously. South America is coffee and dogs territory, just like US. That explains high American influence in the area and relative success of the American apparatchiks with various revolutions, contrasts and psyops, um, because they are similar. Let's look in the Asia. There is uh, one ugly duck in Asia. South Korea. It's a coffee country, which is hilarious, being surrounded by ancient tea cultures for millennia. Little American wannabes do all they can to stand out. They whiten their skin, they enlarge their eyes, they circumcise their peepees. They even drink coffee now and imitate 90s US boys bands. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, but you might be wondering, what about the dog versus cat question down in the old South Korea, to which I will reply, that's a racist and insensitive question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think Japan is actually an interesting case here, because as, uh, uh, they have actually a higher rate of dog ownership than cat ownership, but they have a very high cat population of cats who just live in the cities. 
hmm. uh, as everyone who has ever watched an anime knows. Um, so I think it's uh, controversial whether Japan is actually a cat or a dog country because uh, just by uh, the cultural impulses you would uh, clearly label it a cat country. But at the same time, as personal pets, dogs are more popular. And of course, they have the meme dog, <laughs> the Shiba yeah. Inu. It's just perfect to source anything about Japan uh, from anime. Because as we know, anime is just CTV of Japan. <laughs> it's not uh, <laughs> cartoons. Okay, so let's check uh, continental Europe and be done with it. Uh, I think most of, like, France, Germany are dog countries and coffee there, countries, yes, right? Yes, Actually, most of the Western world is uh, just yes, pure yes. dog and coffee countries. Are there anything interesting instances? Let's check the map here. Uh, oh, yeah, let's, well, well let's... Portugal. Portugal seems to be the cat country. All right. So that... Uh, yeah, it's in every single data point. Uh, Portugal seems to be much closer to Russia than to Spain, right? <laughs> so it's ridiculous. Uh, right. Yeah, coffee, because right now coffee is liquid Americanism, but in the olden times it was liquid Austrianism, right? Yes. So it engulfed Europe early on. I mean, so. I mean, of course, uh, you can't really just uh, as a blanket statement that coffee is Americanism because um, overall, Nomi coffee culture is a great illustration of the point that a similarity of exoteric forms does not really imply a similarity of esoteric essence. Because, of course, coffee, just like tea, is a deeply ritualistic drink. And there is a huge right. uh, difference between like the um, Buckman running on Neolip bean water wage cuck fuel versus uh, the hallowed uh, dervish enjoying communion while sipping on Sufi wine, as they call coffee. Indeed. Also, interesting fact that on the paper, Britain is dog and tea, and India is also dog and tea. Well, I hope someone would do a map with uh, four parameters at once. Yeah, it's a political compass, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do that, our dear audience. I will share one more observation uh, that I had in mind, and we will move on to actually discussing use here, I promise. So in the latter half of 20th century, the soil of Western and Southern Russia and Malo Russia was covered with skeletons of soldiers, rusty weapons and bombs from the Great Patriotic War. Some of it like unexploded mines, for example, and miraculously preserved guns were dangerous. But it didn't stop the post-war kids from their favorite pastime. Go out to the field and look for the echoes of this greatest tragedy of the 20th century for all Slavic people. The chance to find anything of value without a metal detector grew scarcer with every decade, and in the 21st century, the relics of the slaughter were mostly gone. This process uh, rhymed with uh, an idea of progress and end of history, that uh, the past is buried deep down in black Russian soil. It can never happen again. Yet Putin exclaimed, psych, and now just imagine the amount of various military stuff that 
is being sown right now in the fields of eastern Ukraine. It will satisfy the needs of nosy, reckless kids reviving this great tradition. Uh, the typical arsenal of an eight-year-old boy living in eastern Ukraine in 2050, for example, will be 10 lepistok mines that he's gonna carry in his backpack to school, kilograms worth of fragmented shells of howitzers and MLRS, unexploded PG-7 warhead under his bed, maybe a piece of legendary Bayraktar or Bandaramobil, who knows. War is awful, but uh, it's also the only source of entertainment for little rascals in the bleak post-war future. So let's celebrate that with a cup of hot tea while petting your cat. Or drinking THC-infused soy milk latte while your nanny dog is mauling your own child. Uh, now that we scared all the normal people, let's do a bloody sea trap, shall we? Right. We were gone for more than two weeks, I think. Yeah, we didn't do a sit trap in a while, but uh, it kind of coincided with the operational pause anyway, so there uh, hasn't been any like large movements. So after taking Lysychansk, uh, the Russian army has been taking an operational pause for to regroup, um, to reinforce uh, units that suffered casualties, to work on logistics, to resupply. Well, of course, there have been battles. Uh, there has been some territory taken as well, especially around uh, Artyomovsk Bakhmut. Um, but uh, actually, most of the action right now is uh, being done by uh, the musicians and by the militias of the Donbass republics. And armed forces of Russia, are, except for like some examples, some of which I will name, are mostly um, focused on, well, building up strengths, who knows for what, right? So the latest things that actually happened were battles um, going on north of Kharkov, uh, supposedly some villages taking, uh, changing hands again, Bershevaya uh, was taken by Russian forces, um, but uh, it's all not very important, it's not really strategic what's happening there. On the Severodonetsk direction, there is uh, not really much happening, or like the Slavyansk Severodonetsk direction, I guess, uh, around Izum. Um, the Ukrainian general staff is reporting that Russians are attacking Gusarovka near Bovoklea, but I haven't really heard much of that. Solidar in the North Donbass front is um, being attacked by Russians. Uh, there are reports of Russian troops having entered the southern outskirts of the city, but uh, really nothing definitive. Then I think the, some village, Virshina or something like that, south of Artyomovsk Bakhmut was taken. Um, there's still fighting going on for Simigorye around Gorlovka, uh, near Donetsk. The only offensive, uh, really serious uh, offensive movements of strategic importance right now happening are happening around Donetsk. Um, north of Avdeevka, uh, the Donetsk People's Militia is moving on Krasnogorovka and um, Butovka and are coming closer to the uh, Donetsk uh, Ring Highway. Russians have also entered Piski, closing on uh, the village of Nevelske. There is also some movement in Marienka, but this will all take a while, um, really. 
because uh, these are these three of Diefka, Marjenka and Pesky are probably the most fortified, most heavily fortified places on this planet right now. Um, it's basically all a huge mountain of steel and concrete, um, full of artillery and infantry and air defenses. So it's really hard to do anything there. I suppose they will just try to bypass and encircle them. Um, especially since it's, um, well, basically the Ukrainian defenses around Donetsk, they have a depth of around 20 kilometers. Um, the main fortifications uh, end around the line of Kurachva, Karlovka, Chretina. Um, then you have the northern line of defense around um, New York, Konstantinovka. And uh, west, you basically only have um, Krasnarmeysk. Right now, the first core of the Donetsk People's Militia is breaking through Ukrainian defenses. And uh, as we've seen before, 20 kilometers can be an incredibly long distance. One of the main problems is still Avdiivka. Um, I think it looks uh, to me like they're trying to surround it or half surround it with the pincer movement. And uh, the question then is uh, whether they'll go towards Ugledar or uh, Konstantinovka. But in any case, the Western Donbass will be one of the decisive battles in Eastern Ukraine alongside the coming battles for Slovyansk. But yeah, aside from that, uh, no, not really much strategic movement. Uh, there still hasn't been a Ukrainian Kherson counteroffensive, uh, although not for lack of trying. Actually, I have some first-hand or second-hand knowledge of this. Um, a friend of mine uh, is currently on the front lines in Kherson Oblast. I was uh, actually a bit worried because his um, battalion was uh, struck with uh, artillery and timers and um, I didn't hear from him for 10 days and I heard from uh, a Twitter mutual who is in the neighbor unit that they did have some casualties and uh, so I was worried about that but turns out he's uh, alive and uh, well alive and well. What he told me is um, you probably remember um, the Ukrainians claiming that they encircled 2,000 Russian soldiers. Then they just stopped talking about it and how they uh, were... In Kherson, right? Yes, in Kherson, obviously. Mm -hmm. How they were mounting an offensive around Andreevka and Bilogorka and so on. And uh, my friend was involved in those battles. Um, of course, he doesn't really have a complete picture, just what was happening on his positions. But what he uh, told me is that, so basically, there were 12 days of fighting um, with two assaults per day. So one in the morning, one in the evening. First, uh, mechanized assaults, so like uh, regular army units, Ukrainian marines, tanks, um, BTRs and so on. But after these were unsuccessful, uh, the Marines were rotated back or pulled out and were replaced by reservists, uh, so mobilized reservists, and the Aidar, the infamous Aidar Battalion, known for, well, mostly committing war crimes and losing half their manpower in ambushes. They also heard, uh, like on the radio, people speaking Polish, so probably International Legion or private military contractors. There were a bunch of unsuccessful attacks over these 12 days, so every day basically 
uh, Ukrainians took extreme casualties in these. Um, it was mostly unprepared, mobilized reservists who didn't even know how to use cover while attacking, so they took like completely unnecessary casualties and so on. And yeah, um, two of them deserted and uh, surrendered and said that Aydar uh, was uh, actually role-playing as Soviet military commissars in the Ukrainian rear, executing people left and right and so on, and that they deserted because of this. There was no retreat on the Russian side there, despite my friend only being in a volunteer battalion with no, like, no tanks and no artillery and so on. They still beat back most, like all of the attacks, and uh, then came the HIMARS strike on their HQ, on their field HQ. Um, they took some losses in the in the battalion leadership, and then they uh, were rotated out and replaced with regular army units. Uh, the with VDV and uh, like a bunch of tanks and artillery, and uh, Ukrainian assault was just uh, completely ground down to nothing and uh, yeah there has been no breakthrough there and probably won't be if they keep up uh, the tactics they are utilizing so yeah Aydar has a funny slogan slaves will not make it to heaven <laughs> it's uh, you, you know Aydar uh, like for people who follow the Donbass war it's, it's actually hilarious like I have acquaintances three different acquaintances who were at least involved in inflicting very heavy losses on Aydar in three separate battles. So it's it's, it's really one of the most of, of the most unlucky Ukrainian uh, units. Um, yeah, I think they're actually like a regular army unit now and uh, not National Guard like uh, Azov. Well, in any case, so far there has been no serious Kherson counteroffensive, only these isolated attempts. But uh, there might be something coming. Both sides are putting more troops uh, on that front, so we may uh, see something. Right. Heavy casualties in Aydar and this uh, recent murder of Azov prisoners by Ukrainians seems to be not a bunch of mistakes, but maybe a conscious strategy of getting rid of the Nazi battalions in a useful fashion. I mean, it's possible. People have been speculating about it since the beginning of the battle for Mariupol, because there was absolutely no military reason to uh, like keep troops in Mariupol and let them be encircled. Like, literally, no military reason they could have easily pulled out, especially since the uh, Russian army took a break for five days anyway after taking Berdyansk uh, so like the whole NATO people could leave without making a fuss to avoid uh, uncomfortable situations later. So they had the time, they had the ample opportunity to leave Mariupol, but uh, high command chose to let them stay there. So it's possible that, uh, I mean, the current commander or former commander who is now in Russian uh, Custody, Prokopienko was like a completely unknown guy, like nobody knew about him in Ukraine, and he only became known when he refused to salute Zelensky on a military parade. Hmm. So basically, uh, Azov were not huge Zelensky fans, 
um, and it's not unthinkable that uh, Kiev would use the current situation to get rid of a sovereign in their side. Yeah, well, Zelensky as a man is much closer to Russian politicians. Uh, you can easily imagine Zelensky as uh, some big guy in Kremlin, mm -hmm. really. Uh, he's made from the same cloth uh, <laughs> as Russian politicians. He dislikes Azov, he doesn't have anything to do with them, but to use them while shooting for Vogue magazine. <laughs> yeah, but overall the whole thing in Yelenovka is a bit strange. I mean, it's quite obvious to me that it was the Ukrainians, um, especially since the alternative version that uh, they came up with is so ridiculous. Like, uh, are you aware, uh, like, what the official version of the Ukrainian side is? What happened there? They are saying well, that Russians did it. Yeah, they are saying that Wagner showed Yelenovka because they wanted to cover up that they stole supplies that were going to the prisoners. So basically they murdered 50 people with artillery to cover up that they stole some, I don't know, blankets or MREs or some shit. Like, because why? Because Azov guys would uh, tell on them. I the have principle. no idea. I have no, it, it, it makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Like, it's completely ridiculous. And uh, mm -hmm. this is the official version of what the uh, Ukrainian uh, Ministry of Defense is saying happened there. So, like, it, it's like saying that 9-11 uh, happened to cover up the embezzlement of office supplies. <laughs> like, like, because someone stole three pencils. Like, it makes no sense. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Right. Uh, well, they found, uh, or at least they presented, uh, HIMARS, uh, GMLRS missiles, uh, debris from them that was recovered there, of course. Uh, what is imme immediately said that those were like brought there from somewhere else, which I guess is a, technically a possibility, but still doesn't make any sense. It's uh, isn't it a bit strange that uh, they were kept basically on the front line? Why wouldn't they be extracted to Russia? Their leadership was, from what I understand, uh, like Prokopienko and. Kalina are actually um, in in Rostov? Russia. In Russia, uh, supposedly yeah. even in Moscow, but uh, ah. we we don't know that for sure. Yelenovka has been a prison for quite a while, a prison for prisoners of war, even before the current conflict. From as far as I know, if I remember correctly, they evacuated in a special Ukrainian operation uh, the wounded Azovstal prisoners. They were all brought to Yelenovka. Mm. And they were just kept there uh, all this time. So, yeah. So, they were wounded anyway, Yes, right? and I mean, um, it's also that just all the prisons in Donetsk are full. Fuck off, we're full! Like, I don't think that they have much of a choice. Like, if there is space there, they put them there. Because every prison in Donetsk Oblast uh, is filled to the brim with Ukrainian prisoners of war. Like, authorities in the DPR are sending out, like, mass text messages to the whole population to recruit prison wards because they don't have enough people to guard all the prisoners. Logistically, very difficult. Well, who is benefiting from that? Is it Russia, Ukraine or some third side in this conflict? I mean, I guess there can be some different theories on why they did it. Um, I mean, I also don't believe that Russia did it because why... 
why so complicated? Yeah. I mean, they were supposed to go on trial for war crimes anyway in the DPR, and most you likely, shoot them legally. and most likely, a bunch of them would have gotten the death sentence anyway and would have been yeah. executed. So, I mean, it's as of they could have live streamed their execution, and everyone in Russia and Donbas and uh, a large parts of Ukraine would have been super happy about this. Like, they're all, even if they didn't do that, they can just have them shot in a forest and uh, like bury them somewhere where no one will ever find them or burn them such a huge story new story about like it literally makes no sense whatsoever like firing mlrs inside your own territory like what the fuck like who comes up with this so in any case i suppose there could be a connection to um a few days ago, a few days before this happened, um, an interview came out with Kazatsky, PR guy who made that famous photo shoot uh, with the Azov soldier in Azov style standing and the uh, ray of light falling upon him and uh, all this, all those famous photos. Um, yeah. And that was him. And he was one of the main PR guys for Azov. And he said in an interview, although, of course, of course, all interviews with prisoners of war are inherently suspect because you can't really know if they're being forced to say what they're saying. This just is inside. But he said in this interview that they were given the order to make videos of uh, Russian prisoners of war being tortured and killed for to like to damage morale inside russia well yeah it seemed uh, completely unnecessary and uh, i don't think that aristovich was lying when he commanded to stop uh, filming such videos mm. because yeah it's only damages ukrainian brand uh, to the western audience right mm -hmm. that they're barbarians so yeah it uh, caused uh, many russian soldiers not to surrender Yes, uh, and this uh, incident will cause Ukrainian soldiers not to surrender. So all of it just fuels the conflict. That's yeah. the other tinfoil hat theory. Um, because the day before the attack on Yelenovka, um, that video came out that supposedly shows Russians uh, torturing a Ukrainian prisoner of war. Like I'm not 100% sure it's real because some artists identified uh, like the clothes and the gear that supposed Russians were wearing and a lot of that is like AFU stuff including like t-shirts and shoes although we have seen uh, like especially musicians wearing like trophy Ukrainian stuff and uh, so it's not impossible so but really it doesn't matter a lot in the grand scheme of things if the video is real or not of course if it's real it's a war crime and all participants should be prosecuted and uh, court-martialed and uh, get a severe punishment for what they did but in the grand scheme of things uh, it's weird that in two consecutive days two pieces of information came out that basically suggest to ukrainian soldiers that they should not surrender yeah they would either be castrated or killed. Yes, and this uh, all while the supposed big counteroffensive in Kherson is being prepared. So I don't know. Um, it's really hard to say. I don't have a definitive opinion on why 
exactly this happened. I don't doubt that the Yelenovka strike was the Ukrainians. It just makes no sense otherwise. But uh, if it was done to silence Azov or just to like uh, prevent Ukrainian soldiers from surrendering or whatever, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, a bunch of Antifa murks in the Ukrainian <laughs> army from Kurdistan or from New York originally. <laughs> I mean, couldn't stand. I mean, yeah. technically, it could have also been like a rogue uh, action or something because AFU hate Azov. Of course, uh, in the propaganda, every Ukrainian soldier looks up to Azov as these great heroes, but they hate them because uh, they are like... Uh, Instagram soldiers who get a lot of money and all the attention and uh, they also get used as like uh, in their commissar role like the other nuts butts and uh, yeah. it's just um, yeah. And they have nothing to back it up, uh, no successful operations or yeah. whatever. They are not like Wagner at all mm. in this regard and I'm just sitting here and wishing for a 2022 remake of uh, Fiddler on the Roof, but instead of a Fiddler, there is a Wagner Merck standing on the roof of Ugligorsk power station. <laughs> and playing the violin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, playing the violin, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, so did we tell all our audience needs to know about C-Trap? Well, one thing I also wanted to talk about is the uh, unprecedented shelling of Donetsk with Lipistock yes, mines. Yes which is like really a super obvious war crime so for those who didn't follow our twitter coverage basically the ukrainian army is uh, using lipistock mines the lipistock uh, also known as pfm1 is a type of anti-personnel mine it's very small it's made from plastic it only needs five kilograms of weight to be set off and it's basically a copy a reverse-engineered version of the BLU-43 Dragon Tooth mine used by the United States in Vietnam. It's a very, very fucking nasty thing. It's specifically designed to maim instead of killing. So if you step on it as an adult, basically you just lose your foot, but you don't die. Um, it's supposed to strain like logistics and medical capacity and it's like, a, well, it's really very sadistic. Um, it was widely used by the US and Vietnam. It was used by the Soviets and um, the, the Lipistock was used by the Soviets in Afghanistan. And uh, it's especially dangerous for children because yeah. it, it kind of looks like a toy if you don't know what it is. So oftentimes children pick it up. Um, it's just a very nasty weapon that uh, really shouldn't be used outside of a strictly uh, like military context where there are no civilians around at all. And personally, I think it shouldn't be used at all. Ukraine has promised to get rid of Lipistocks uh, in 2018 and 16. I think uh, there are about 2 million of Lipistocks in the storages. Yes. Uh, but they apparently didn't. They lied about it, and now they're using it to maim mm -hmm. uh, Donetsk children. Yes, so Lipistocks, they can be scattered through various means, including cluster munitions, shot from helicopters, with mortars, with special mine-laying weapons, and via MLRS, which is what they are doing in Donetsk. They are shooting Uragan MLRS cassette munitions. Um, 
300 lipistocks uh, fit into one of these and they are just firing them randomly at Donetsk. Um, just uh, two days ago, uh, they did this for the first time in Donetsk, in downtown Donetsk. Uh, several cities have been closed off. Uh, most of the Rashivsky district, um, and the areas around the Donbass arena, um, and so on. And uh, yeah, it's uh, just, well, it just really sucks. Like, um, there are demining operations going on day and night, but it takes a while to find all of them, and they won't all be found. It's impossible. They will probably be found in weeks, months, years from now on. Before Donetsk, uh, AFU already did this to like um, to other cities. They did it to, to the outskirts of uh, Donetsk and Yasinavate. Um, they did this in Izum and Lysychansk, uh, which is still a war crime because they shot civilian areas with it. But they have at least the excuse that uh, these are cities with an enemy military presence, uh, whereas downtown Donetsk, it's really just, there aren't many men left in Donetsk, right? They're all on the front or, or so, and it's like um, women and children mostly. So there is really no excuse for this. In any case, um, like people always wonder about this or like when they were just shelling Donetsk uh, where you had at least like the possible excuse of uh, collateral damage and uh, and so on and um, I'm not really a fan of the like evil Ukrainians are just war criminals who commit war crimes for the sake of committing war crimes um, there is always like a reason for what they're doing and uh, the reason like for example for the extreme shelling of Donetsk in June had a very simple goal. They wanted to disrupt the transfer of the first army corps of the Donetsk People's Militia to, to Papasna and Severodonetsk. Uh, basically because they were they were around Avdeevka at that point and they were uh, they left uh, Donetsk to reinforce uh, the offensive in the north. Yeah. Back then the Ukrainian armed forces did not succeed and as a result of that the Donetsk troops uh, performed really well on the northern uh, part of Donbass. If the military and political leadership of the DPR had had uh, succumbed to these attempts. Like uh, the Ukrainians wanted to cause public pressure, like civilians are dying, and uh, thus uh, they must now attack Avdeevka from where they are shelling Donetsk from. And it would have disrupted a lot of military plans. And most likely, if the first army corps of the DPR hadn't left, um, the Ukrainians could still be in control of Lysychansk. But they mm -hmm. did not get uh, taunted into doing this, so it didn't work. And right now the situation is uh, still not very different. First of all, it's still the AFU, uh, like ready to do whatever for their own benefit. And secondly, the Lipistock mines, um, they are annoying. They have to be demined, they injure people, they overload hospitals. Uh, the hospitals need more blood supplies. Uh, 
they slow down transport, uh, streets have to be closed down, it strains logistics. So this is like the material aspect. The third one is uh, it causes suffering to civilians. And uh, AFU is basically training uh, DPR uh, civilians to have a reflex that whenever the Russian army is successful somewhere, the civilians suffer the consequences of that. Pavlovian. It's a bit like Russian prisoners of war getting beat up after prelot. Yeah. And uh, the last reason is that the Ukrainians have um, nothing to respond with to the assault on Avdeevka, Piski, Marienka. They, they can't do anything about it. So they are intensifying their attacks on civilians in order to force the Russian and DPR troops to advance faster. And advancing faster means less artillery preparation, less reconnaissance, uh, less supplies, and so on and so on. So basically taking higher losses and uh, possibly not achieving all the all of their objectives uh, because they won't be as well prepared. So again, they are trying to taunt um, the armies, the allied forces into rushing into Avdiivka and Pisky and Marienka, uh, because this will make uh, their task more difficult. Well, it's the definition, the textbook definition of terrorism. Like you hurt civilians who have nothing to do with the war to achieve some kind of political or military goal. That is what terrorism is. And, uh, well, the only correct response to terrorism is not doing what the terrorists want you to do and killing the terrorists. Yeah, but let's talk about uh, the greatest Ukrainian gift to the world. The Western media says it's uh, there are such hilarious titles. A relief for the world as Ukrainian grain ship leaves Odessa. Oh, right. You, right yes. First grain ship leaves uh, under Russia deal. Uh, <laughs> was there ever a time when a country involved in the war is expected to give relief for the world? <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. And uh, yeah, uh, got to admit that a lot of them, uh, they say that it's because of Russia. Because Russia relaxes uh, the control of the Black Sea or uh, the new, this Russia-Turkish deal, right? So they acknowledge the fact that it's not just... Uh, Ukrainian goodwill involved. So what's interesting about that? I mean, it's still super dangerous because it's full of Ukrainian mines, but I guess the, especially, I mean, of course, the Ukrainians probably have maps of uh, where they put the mines so they can guide the ships to safety, but there are a lot of drifting mines as well. So, uh, like, I wouldn't uh, volunteer to... Uh, Save the world. Yeah. <laughs> but the interesting aspects of the Grand Deal are, of course, well, first of all, um, it's still not completely clear to me if Russian troops will be involved in um, checking the ships that enter the port of Odessa for weapons. Because mm -hmm. obviously that would be a great way to deliver arms supplies. It's a lot easier than by truck or plane. Yeah. Um, the second thing is that de facto... Um, the United Nations are accepting that Russia has a legitimate interest in not letting weapons into Odessa and into controlling the Black Sea. So it's uh, they are admitting that Russia has a legitimate interest in controlling yeah, what happens in the port of really. Odessa. 
because before that uh, it was a complete dismissal mm -hmm. of Russian interests. Shut up, the grown-ups are talking, right? Mm -hmm. And now something is slowly, but it's changing. Yes, and of course, in part, it's uh, all a bit for show since uh, Ukrainian grain exports aren't that big of a deal in the world markets. They are yeah. for they are for uh, specific countries. I think Egypt uh, has like eighty percent of Ukrainian grain, but um, overall in the world markets, it's not all that much. I think it's five to ten percent or something. Guardian claims it's sixteen percent. Well, I won't vouch for specific numbers, but it's yeah. not super big of a deal. But it's lower than Russia's or American or Canada. Yes. yes. Okay, so um, about Taiwan and Kosovo, the world news section of our show, before we finish it. Right. The, um, Kosovo government, uh, as of now, has uh, postponed this controversial new law. I'm not sure what this law is about. It's about license plates, but it's about discriminating the Serbs, right? Yes, yes it's about uh, the Serbs and who still live in northern in the northern part of Kosovo, not being allowed to use Serbian documents, Serbian license plates, and so on, well, yeah. that they have to change person to, in Serbs. to Albania. Uh, well, yeah, they have met, met with uh, some resistance and uh, chickened out, right? Probably no war right now, but uh, as uh, Alexander Vucic says, uh, we have never been in a more difficult and complicated situation than today. Pray for peace and seek it, but there will be no surrender and Serbia will win. Yes, uh, the Russian government has um, made clear that it supports Serbia. Dmitry Peskov himself said that Russia absolutely supports Serbia in the situation around Kosovo. And Maria Zakharova uh, wrote a funny statement uh, where she put uh, basically uh, like uh, authorities and prime minister in quotes when talking about... Uh, She's such a cougar humorist. The Kosovo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've asked our friend, um, Serbian journalist and documentalist Miodrag Zarkovic to share his take on what's happening. Please have a listen. The very root cause for the crisis is, uh, that would be my guess and uh, the guess of many other people, the very goal is to get Russia in odds with Iran. Because America's logic is that uh, supposedly if there is a conflict in the Balkans between Orthodox Christians, namely Serbs, and some Muslims, that Russia will of course support uh, Serbs and Iran will support the Muslims. Now that may very well be the case in Bosnia, but not so much in Kosovo. Um, because Kosovo Albanians are widely recognized, even in the Muslim world, as America's puppets. I mean, uh, uh, Bosnian Muslims are also America's puppets, but that was not so obvious back in 92 to 95, when the Bosnian war was raging on. America's involvement was uh, not that obvious. Opposite to that, America was directly involved in the Kosovo war ever since the beginning. America instigated it, America controlled it totally, you know, so everybody knows that Kosovo Albanians are American puppet. 
but even still america america has been trying to instigate some sort of conflict in bosnia for the past year they failed to do so so they probably tried to do the same thing in kosovo just in case you know that the iranians might might be backing kosovo albanians and russia will of course back uh, serbs you know but uh, when they realized that uh, iran is not really interested in kosovo albanians they that's why they probably stepped down late last night american so-called ambassador to kosovo uh, proposed that the new measures uh, be delayed for a, a month so they will be implemented on september 1st what will happen then and what will happen by then it's anyone's guess i will be in contact with the kosovo serbs i will be going to kosovo probably in the late august i will of course uh, let you know whatever you need to know be well and stay well and uh, ask anything uh, you need bye bye so as i understand it miadrak thinks that it's a uh, america trying to provoke iran to support uh, the kosovars and russia to support uh, the serbs and uh, thereby the falling out between iran and russia i mean it's possible that this is their plan but this hasn't really worked before iran doesn't recognize uh, the kosovo and I based think, on faulty presumptions i mean it's the americans uh, you could expect that <laughs> yeah well uh, i hope there will be peace but uh, the monument to bill clinton in pristina right must be destroyed yeah <laughs> no i mean even last year um Siwakovic, um, the Serbian Minister of Foreign Affairs, he visited Moscow and Tehran, and uh, the Iranians uh, said that they support Serbia in their efforts to stop Pristina uh, from becoming member of certain international organizations. So I really don't see uh, like this attempt, if it is an attempt at this, uh, succeeding in any way. So yeah. I think it's more, um, my personal view is more that they are just threatening Vucic into submission on like the sanctions question and so on. Right now, Serbia is uh, one of only two European countries that hasn't put intense sanctions on Russia. It's also the only country in the region outside of Turkey that still has regular flights to Russia. I think that they basically just threatened uh, Vucic with a new war or letting the Albanians in Kosovo um, like do whatever they want to the Serbs there uh, if he doesn't uh, bend the knee and considering that it was supposedly Blinken who made the uh, Albanians uh, postpone the implementation of the new law for months um, it does seem well that's my personal opinion but I think that Vucic probably agreed to some kind of backroom deal but I guess we'll see if history is anything to go by, then uh, Serbia will do everything they've been asked to, and in the end, they will still uh, get shafted. Always. Yeah. The problem is also that, well, on one hand, Russia said that they would support Serbia uh, if the situation gets worse without directly participating in the conflict. Of course, uh, right now, we know that um, you can like send thousands of mercenaries and uh, control uh, a country's military and send your generals and advisors and satellites and unlimited weapons there and it doesn't count as participating in a conflict. 
So there's that. Right now, even participating in the conflict does not mean <laughs> that uh, you participate in it. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, it's of course uh, logistically more or less impossible for Russia to send supplies to Serbia. Right. Because Serbia yeah. is completely surrounded by NATO. Well, yeah, be Serbia is in a similar position as Russia, but on the insanity mode, right? Being absolutely surrounded, being more or less equal to your enemies. There is a Russian saying, Crimea is Russia, Alaska is Russia, everything is Russia, apart from Kosovo. Kosovo is Serbia. So, <laughs> we will see about that. Uh, I have really no thoughts uh, about Taiwan. There is nothing happening, right? No, I don't think any. I mean, we do have a shitty track record with our uh, nothing is happening predictions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah um, I will just treat uh, that as the exception that proves the rule and uh, continue maintaining that nothing ever happens. And there will not be... There will probably be deep diplomatic consequences around uh, if Pelosi decides to visit Taiwan, but I don't think the Chinese will invade Reddit Island just now. Um, there will be a military conflict around Taiwan in the near future. I think so much is clear, except, of course, the possibility is a peaceful reunification, but uh, that will probably not be allowed by America. So, but I don't think anything will happen just now. Really don't have any strong opinions on that either. Mm -hmm. Except, of course, I'm always... I support the military defeat of all US satellites. To finish off this episode, I think uh, the most important question is... Uh, is Taiwan <laughs> cat and tea country? And uh, it's hard to look for information, but there are some news, like Taiwan is banning eating cats and dogs. So I'm not sure <laughs> what are they about. Yeah, I'm googling right now and it just says that uh, Taiwan has more pets than children. Hmm. Share your ideas in the comment section. And uh, tell us, uh, what country, what kind of country are you from? Thank you for listening and see you soon.